Michigan's Children proudly presents Speaking for Kids, the podcast where we explore crucial conversations impacting the lives of all Michigan children, youth, and families, especially the most vulnerable. Join us each month as we explore public policies and issues in the best interest of our kids and families. We'll bring you lawmakers and policymakers, advocates fighting for change, and the people most affected by those decisions. With our host, Matt Gillard, President and CEO of Michigan's Children, we'll invite you to become engaged too and show you how to take action on what matters most to you. Episodes are recorded live and shared virtually on YouTube and the audio hosting sites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of Speaking for Kids, the podcast from Michigan's Children. I'm Matt Gillard, and we're taping today's episode on Thursday, January 25th, 2024. In today's podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the speech that Governor Whitmer gave last night, her State of the State address, where she outlined some of her priorities for this upcoming year, and then even get into maybe a bit of a preview on what to expect for the budget process um, as the governor is, is slated to present her budget proposal to the legislature coming up on February 7th, and then the legislature will, over the next several months, uh, work off of that to ultimately pass a state budget and send it back to the governor for her signature sometime probably in June. With us today, we have two of our favorite guests. We have Andrea Cascarella, a longtime Lansing lobbyist as a government policy advisor with Dykema, and Matt Curta, who's a partner at Carubin Associates. Uh, welcome, and thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us, Matt. Um, all right, Andrea, let's jump right in on kind of what we heard last night. You know, obviously there's a lot of hoopla every, all the, every year around this time, uh, certainly here in Lansing, about what to expect and expectations. Some of it gets leaked in advance or, or leaked in advance. Um, but let's let's talk about maybe some of the highlights that we heard in terms of uh, issues important to kids and families, especially from the governor last night. Two of the biggest being, uh, you know, her, her updated or continued push uh, for universal pre-K and then her call for uh, free community college access for everybody. Yeah, so man, not, you know, too many surprises. A lot of what we've heard and either was leaked in advance or, or policies she's continuing to focus on. But, you know, you mentioned two of them, I think two big ones that, you know, she had proposed in the last budget, moving to uh, universal preschool, um, under a little longer timeline, trying to move that up and get the funding and, and get that in place and done this year. So a couple years in advance of what she had originally laid out and prioritized. Um, obviously, important issue. We all know um, the incredible benefit, high quality early childhood education, a high quality preschool program brings to a child and their lifelong learning and, and just their prosperity as adults. So um, a great program, a lot of, you know, as always, devil in the details. So there'll be more that's rolling out. I think we're going to see that next week with the UPRK kind of uh, report and kind of planning uh, document uh, that will be coming out uh, and, and understand a little bit more of that. But again, a lot more detail to be worked out. And, and I know there are a lot of concerns on that front, especially those um, that are in the private sector providing that support and those services to families, um, you know, how that's impacted and implemented in a way that doesn't um, disrupt uh, the support they provide in those businesses that, um, those small businesses that are uh, childcare providers. So 
um, a lot more to come on that. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting process and, and a lot to, to work through, not only in the budget, but on the policy side of that. So, um, and the other, again, and not something new, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of, you know, more targeted programs here and there with Reconnect on others um, for the uh, community colleges. You mentioned that, National uh, Community College. Um, support too, but um, you know this is a little more comprehensive approach, and I think there's a lot of folks looking at that and what that means, and um, you know from a number of contexts. But you know, in addition to that, there are a lot of things she proposed, kind of looking at you know pocketbook issues to um, affecting families and, and kind of get to some of these bigger issues. Um, one of them too, you know, for some of the families, especially those that might have. You know, children and um, with special needs, you know, caregiver support, that $5,000 a year tax credit, I think something that impacts a lot of families really challenged and they're carrying that burden all on their own. So, you know, opportunity um, there, you know, that she's proposed to really help ease that burden. Um, but, you know, there's some, again, some of those pocketbook issues to help just, you know, housing is one of those. And so while a broader issue, not necessarily directly focused on children and, um, you know, but just those broader family issues and affordability, you know, and, and you know, rebates on purchasing cars. But, um, you know, overall, it, you know, might be lighter than some thought on in some of these areas, uh, you know, the biggest plug really we're seeing is around that UPRK, but more details, I just say too, you know, this is, you know, the governor's state of the state will hear more in her budget but there's a process as well with the legislature and that opportunity to do more and, um, you know, through that legislative process. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of the speech is as typical as, you know, maybe a victory lap of sorts, right? And wanting to pat themselves or pat herself and their, her Democratic colleagues in the legislature on the back for some of the things that they were able to get done last year with their first Democratic, full Democratic majority in 40 years or whatever it was. Uh, in Michigan, but I think I speak probably for certainly for us in Michigan's children, but for a lot of our listeners as well that you know there were a few things that were not mentioned um, that that is a source of frustration I think for a lot of child advocates. Uh, we're continuing to not see the prioritization or the focus on childcare. I mean, everyone I think is supportive of universal pre-K, um, but I think that uh, a lot of folks who are who are you know engaged on a day-to-day -day basis and advocating on a day-to-day -day basis or providers of childcare services recognize that the house is on fire and that you know there's some ignoring of the the big problem right in front of them by not prioritizing real state investments into our childcare system and so you know we're still I guess hopeful that maybe we'll see some of that in the budget but with it not being mentioned or called out in the in the speech last night and then another one that's gotten some attention as well if you remember the governor did call out in her policy speech back in the fall for paid family leave. Um, and there's a big growing advocacy effort of which Michigan's children, Mothering Justice, and a number of other partners are a big part of. Um, and no mention of that last night either, um, I know as a source of frustration for some advocates as well. And, and you know, will be an issue that we'll continue to work through the legislature on as we move forward. And and Matt, maybe before we jump into kind of what to expect on the budget. So once again, I think the kind of the recap on the speech last night was, 
as Andrea said, not a lot of details, which is the norm. We don't often get a lot of details on these uh, in these types of speeches. The details will come out uh, either in the budget process or through, you know, when policy, when legislation is actually introduced on some of these things. Um, but before we get into kind of what to expect in the budget and maybe the process moving forward, we do have an interesting dynamic kind of that's developed in the legislature with a couple of the Democratic members in the House winning mayoral elections and now a, a lawsuit uh, upending some of the districts um, as well. So why don't you touch on that a little bit to give people some background on, on what the legislature itself is kind of facing as it starts 2024 here. Sure thing, madam. You and Andrea made some great points with respect to policy and, and the budget and what's coming out and framing the year. But I think just as important is is for you know listeners to uh, recognize the environment in which we're operating. You know, uh, we were never going to see a year uh, uh, that was as fast and rapid as last year, but that was by design. You had 40 years of pent up priorities and they were going to go as fast as they could while they had the votes. Well, you know, here we are a year later. And you've now had two uh, Democratic legislators win local mayoral elections, bringing what was already a slim 56-54 House majority down to a temporary tie at 54-54. And it appears at this point, you know, they're going to be tied until April when we have some special elections called uh, to fill those seats. And, and I think most observers around town, you know, uh, on paper anyway, those seats look like uh, they're likely to be filled by you know, Democratic candidates. So. You know, who knows what could happen, but, you know, most of the smart people in town say, you know, the House will be back to 56, 54. But there's a, there's some interesting layers in there. You know, right now, the House rules do not provide for any changes in the structure of the House unless it's tied 55, 55. The, the Democrats in the House knew this might happen a year ago, so they, they are prepared for it. So right now you have a situation where imagine you're, you're a member of the minority, you're now tied and, uh, you know, after the way the last year went, you, you might not be that that excited to work in a bipartisan manner for any number of reasons. Uh, so uh, I think a lot of observers around town see the year starting out a little more slowly uh, on the House side. As far as floor action, you know, budget work and committee work will continue in the background. You know, committee memberships aren't, you know, aren't likely to change. But for anything to happen on the floor until April, you need bipartisan support. And, uh, and we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I, I, I will say in this era of uh, partisan acrimony at the state and federal levels, uh, I, I think it was good. The governor injected some levity last night. I'm a huge fan of all things 80s, and I picked up on most of those references. So, uh, you know, a little levity in politics is, is not a bad thing. But the other thing we need to consider is, uh, you know, we're taping this podcast here on January 25th, uh, February 2nd. Um, a federal judicial panel has required a number of seats uh, in the legislature in Southeast Michigan to be redrawn uh, because of violations of the uh, U.S. Constitution with how those maps were drawn. So we have 13 House seats right now. We don't know what those are going to look like when candidates file once again in April. So you have arguably 13 or more members of the House right now. They don't know what seat they're going to be running in in the fall. So take a layer of the House being tied and then add on some uncertainty onto that of legislators not knowing what districts they're running in. That has to be completed by the end of March. And you can kind of see why uh, the year's probably gonna get off to a slow start. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of time for some budget deliberations. And as was noted earlier, uh, you know, we had a very healthy debate on the universal pre-K proposal last year. And I expect we're gonna have that debate again this spring. 
Yeah, no, thank you for that. And yeah, I think a lot of uncertainty really is as you laid out. And I think even with that, you know, redrawing of the districts, I, I shudder to think of that. I mean, it's highly likely that that several of those members currently serving in those districts are going to get thrust into situations where they're they're forced to run against each other as incumbents or other scenarios, which is uh, always a challenging dynamic to to try to work 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 through uh, in a in a body like that, and you're in a caucus like like you have in the house. Um, so, all right, so let's kind of dig into the budget here as we go. So as mentioned, uh, the date's been set now, uh, February 7th, the governor will present her fiscal year 2025 budget proposal to the legislature, which will actually start on October 1 of, of 2024, but next year's budget, uh, she'll present her proposal to the legislature. Um, I'm knocking on my desk now, but revenues have been up slightly over what was earlier projected. Um, at least in the last, in the short term here. So that's a positive sign, obviously, um, meaning that, you know, but uh, clearly the, the revenue picture, the budget picture is nowhere near as rosy as it was last year, where the state was sitting on significant uh, federal resources and other other uh, revenues that were left over kind of from the COVID pandemic that gave the state a big surplus. We're not looking at that level of surplus, but at least revenues have stabilized and appear to be up a little bit over earlier projections. So a lot of interest, as, as Andrea said, Matt said about UPK, uh, there is a plan that was commissioned to try to, you know, an implementation plan for implementing universal pre-K, uh, recognizing the challenges that this kid, if done wrongly or done badly, poorly, could have on childcare providers and others. And, and that report is due to be released in full next week. Some summaries of it have already come out. There's been some discussions around it. And I think, uh, you know, the advocates around the early childhood issues, at least, um, are somewhat comfortable with where it seems like the plan is headed. Now, whether or not that plan is what the, you know, the what the legislature follows uh, in their budget proposal, I think is, is an issue that certainly a lot of people will be focused on. And then beyond that, as I said earlier, we're just not seeing the type of investments into childcare itself that other states have. Just last week, Massachusetts came out um, in, in past a significant state investment into their child care program. Minnesota did last year, New Mexico, New York, a number of states, mostly with Democratic governors and Democratic legislatures, are um, passing significant or increasing significantly their state investments into their child care system. Um, and that's something that I know the advocates will be focused on. Um, some other areas I know that that are of interest to, to folks as well after school funding we did for the first time see a big increase and I know Matt you were you were central to this last year in in uh, state investment into after school funding um what are what are some of the things both of you that you're expecting or hoping to see maybe related to kids and families in the governor's budget proposal even if it's continuation of some increases we saw last year or maybe some new programs or things that we maybe should be worried about fighting to make sure that we maintain. Yeah, I can just kind of quick get started there. I mean, I, I think it's fairly safe to assume those that are, you know, programs in the budget um, that were not one-time funding, you know, that's gonna continue. We're in a good place on revenues. So, you know, I think most folks can, you know, families can feel pretty confident advocates about those programs continuing um, at those levels, maybe some growth, you know, there are some additional dollars and depending on the programs, you know, whether that's school aid funds or general funds, you know, there are, you know, revenues are up a little. So there's some room to, 
to, to make some adjustments there and, and reprioritize um, in, in different areas. So I, I don't expect major changes. I think the biggest one, and you know, you touched on this a little bit, Matt, but you know, Michigan benefited from substantial resources, over a billion dollars that came in for childcare. Of course, that's one-time funding. And, you know, the state made some changes, more permanent changes in our child care subsidy program and otherwise to try and um, for more permanent changes. But a lot of those resources went into one-time efforts trying to boost that enrollment and an opportunity um, to support more families um, in providing affordable child care. And, and I think we're going to see, you know, we've already seen with subsidy rates um, rescinding back and other other changes that um, you know those right now those efforts don't look to be continued you know at that same level and and with dramatic changes and, and drops there and and so that's certainly disappointing I do think there's an opportunity with you pre-k to help with that can help address some of that I, I know we face challenges despite having resources opening more programs and having enough to support families and, and getting through the barriers that uh, for families to get their children enrolled. And, and one of those big ones is just the workforce. We've struggled the pandemic. There were challenges pre-pandemic, continued through the pandemic. We tried to utilize some of these dollars. You know, I, I think with um, the universal preschool, that has to be a very committed focus. And, and I think, um, you know, there are the intention is to do so, but really bolstering that that uh, workforce with compensation and, and attracting more people to it, making it, you know, helping support individuals that are interested in careers in early education um, to fill those roles. So that helps, I think, our whole system. It's in crisis and in a number of ways, we're doing a lot of things that are helping and the K-12 space with the educator workforce. And I think we can just be doing more of that um, and, and carry that down to the early education level. And we need that at all levels, not just preschool, but you know, in those yeah. infant and toddler programs as well. So I think there are things longer term is that, you know, you can't always control how these things roll out and, and how they're done. And there are limited resources. But I think there can be some residual effects that really help longer term support a more robust and strong, affordable, quality early childhood programs, you know, from birth through, you know, till child children start the K-12 system. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's a you know a big part of the concern is that making sure that we do this in a way that doesn't just take people out of infant toddler programs and others and transition them into four-year-old classrooms when we're already bleeding at the, you know, at, at all levels on the child care side. Um, no, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, this will be an ongoing thing. The budget process will play out and there'll be lots of opportunities for folks to weigh in with their legislators um, on where they think the priority should be. So Matt, what about some other issues? What about after school or anything else that uh, that you're focused on as we head into the budget season here? Well, you you know, Matt, you mentioned a couple of victories in the budget last year and, and Andrea did as well. And, you know, I'd like to pick up on her theme talking about one-time versus ongoing. This is kind of a Lansing insidery way of looking at the budget. You know, think of ongoing as you build money into something and it, it continues on in perpetuity versus one-time, here's the pot of money, it's there till it's spent, and then who knows. 
we're going from uh, a, a very, very unusual year where you had this one-time bubble of money that uh, that was made available, you know, through you know for a number of reasons, fiscal policy, monetary policy, what have you. And we're now kind of, I don't want to say going back, but we're kind of coming down to more of a normalization in revenues. So it's still, there's money available. The budgets are still moving in a great direction. The economy is still sound. It's just coming down from this level where we were before. And, you know, you know, you both mentioned some wonderful things that happened. There have been investments in pre-K and childcare and, and after school and a number of things. But I would note, you know, while we are in, in, in a crisis, I think we all agree we're in a crisis. I, I also think that we now have seen in a year with extraordinary revenues available, granted they were one time, but I think it kind of shows you what's doable if you had sufficient revenues to make one, you know, significant investments in programming. The challenge, of course, is how do we sustain all of these things going forward with, with the revenue we have? But, you know, I, I it's, it, while it's a bit of a negative that uh, we're going to have to figure out what to do once the revenues dry up and we're back to a normalized budget, I think it's a good thing. I think it's kind of aspirational in a way to say to policymakers, you had revenues, you could do these really good things. And you both have mentioned we now have data on uh, demand for after-school programming. We now know the demand exceeds uh, the funding available, but why do we know that? Because we were able to have a robust process and that's something tangible that we can now take to legislators and say, hey, this demand, we've talked to you about, to you about it. Well, now here's the numbers. And that goes for early childhood. You know, Pre-K, we've gone through a, a very interesting year, uh, a GSRP expansion. We've had so, some healthy debate, but now we have data to say, all right, here's the unmet need. So I would say uh, I think we have more ammunition to make the arguments that we make because we now have proof to point to. Of course, it's going to be challenging going forward. We know everyone in town is now going to want to continue their one-time line item. But I think we're all going to have to be very, very careful to realize this year there's a number of items that are not going to be continued. And legislators are, are by nature, going to have to comb through those a bit more uh, as more, uh, more programming competes for more dollars. But I hope we've learned what's doable if we really have resources to put in play. And maybe that prompts action in the future and brings more stakeholders to the table. I hope it does. That's really, listen, listen to Kurt of the rainbows and butterflies guy. I love it. <laughs> I hope you're right. So, so two, two kind of, no, I, I agree. And I mean, you know, I think the data from a child advocacy standpoint, the data is on our side, right? Unfortunately, there is a huge need out there. We've got way too many kids living in poverty, way too many kids uh, not having access to the supports and services that we know can make their lives and their families' lives better. And so I'm all about it. And I think you're right. I mean, once those investments are made, it's hard to take them away. And so let's keep building on what we've done. A couple more kind of specific, maybe nuanced things around the budget. I'm curious, do you guys have any insight on one obviously new area that uh, um, just will be a reality with this budget is the new program, the new department, my leap, right? So one of the big things that happened late last year was the governor's executive order took effect that created this new department that houses now early childhood programs, as well as after school and out of school time programs, as well as educational partnerships. Um, how I know the House has given some indication on how they're going to handle that from a budget standpoint. Has the Senate given any indication yet or talk about what you know about how MyLeap is going to get uh, built into the kind of the budget and the process here? And then the second thing um, is kind of along your lines as well, Curtis, you know, one of the big frustrations from 
from child advocates last year was really a, the the significant or the huge focus on these dollars going towards corporate incentives and big business options and big business opportunities. And now some of those plans have been scaled back by the folks who actually benefited directly from those state dollars. Is there any real talk about pulling back some of those funds um, that were dedicated to some of these projects that now don't look like they're going to happen, at least not in the size or scale that they were being talked about last year? Andrea, do you want to take a shot or would you like me to go first? Well, go ahead and respond to that question on the, the economic incentives. I'll be happy to fill in and I'll follow from there. For sure. You know, I think there was, uh, based on what Matt said, there was an attempt last fall to kind of overhaul in the legislature, our economic development framework. Because when you have incentive programs in place, uh, you're always going to have uh, you have robust debate on both sides of the aisle. It's that that's not a, a, a R or a D debate. Uh, you you have people all over the ideological spectrum making that argument. And you know, it, it, we live in a world where we compete with 49 other states, and we don't always get to set the rules. And that's a challenge for every governor, a, a Republican or Democrat. So, I think there's always programs in the pipeline. I think the governor came out with uh, some additional uh, requests and proposals of what she wanted to do in the state of the state address. I think some of those proved very challenging. And I think at least for the first part of the year, until we have a house that gets back up to full strength, uh, you could see the Senate continuing to crank things along, but it's, it's gonna be slim pickings in the house as, as far as a policy that moves forward unless you have uh, a broad a bipartisan deal in play. And, uh, but you know, the governor also called for a number of uh, uh, in different tax credits and incentives as well. So it, it's always uh, it's always fascinating to figure out how we're going to uh, how we're going to set up a budget that funds priorities in the beginning of the year. And uh, I think you know we're waiting on February seventh to see where the chips fall. But from my perspective, uh, I wish I had more to share, but not much to share, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. I'll just add quick um, to your question, Matt. I um, I don't think you're going to see the governor um, releasing any of those funds from projects that were committed. Whether those kind of are fulfilled or not, I think she'll want to hold on to those for future opportunities. So my guess is you don't see them roll into other programs in the budget. But you know, I think that's an opportunity for discussion, and, and likely will come up. We've heard a lot from the legislature and. And you know there there are different opinions about how um, those dollars could be reprioritized for other purposes. So I, I think that I'll certainly be part of the conversation as we move into and through the budget process. You know, beginning as um, we've talked about with the governor's exec rec in February on the seventh. Um, just wanted to share too. You mentioned LIHEAP, the new department. It's um, you know a lot of questions about what that will be ultimately, you know, just recently the governor through executive order moved some functions in some different state departments, including Department of Education, um, LEO, and I think um, uh, some of it was with um, some Lara functions too. You know, those have been moved over to um, my leave. I'm sure more to come. I think that was just kind of the first of what we were seeing, but a lot of questions on that. And, and as you mentioned, the House is going to be managing the new department's budget with the LEO budget under um, subcommittee chair Rep. Will Snyder. But as of this week, unless something happened last night, um, I have not, I, I don't think anyone in the Senate has been, has heard 
or receive confirmation about how the Senate might approach that. And, and it's not necessarily going to be the same coupled with that LEO budget. So that'll be interesting. And, and I know, you know, and just talking to a lot of the subcommittee chairs that are impacted, those who work on school aid and education, LEO on, and others that will be impacted, even treasury, you know, there's a big question about what Miley looks like. And I think folks eagerly wait to see the governor's exec rack her executive budget recommendation to see what all she puts in there, at, you know, to start this upcoming fiscal year, at least proposes there. So, um, you know, a lot of questions out there. I think a lot of, you know, opinions about what may or may not <laughs> into the new department and or maybe wishes, I don't know, um, or not. Um, so I, I think that's going to be very interesting to see what does ultimately get proposed um, program-wise to, to shift to my leap and, and how that's managed and, and continues to transition. I don't think it's all going to happen even in this fiscal year, this coming fiscal year in one budget. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all. No, I agree. I think my leap is going to be a fascinating thing to watch as part of this budget process, even just for those of us that are that are too engaged in it, probably. Well, I want to thank uh, both Andrea and Matt, both for being great partners with Michigan's children and for the work that you do for child advocates um, throughout the state, but also agreeing to be on this uh, edition of Speaking for Kids. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, check back at michiganschildren.org for future episodes where we'll be sure to bring you the latest news and updates from Lansing about issues that are impacting kids and families here in Michigan. Thanks, and have a good day. You've been listening to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's children with host Matt Gillard. Thanks for joining us. To explore these and other issues relevant to our state's children, youth, and families, and to build your advocacy muscle, go to our website at www.michiganschildren.org. You'll find links and news about past and future podcast topics under our resource tab and action alerts under the Take Action tab. Find and like us on Facebook and Twitter. Terry Bannis and Stephen Wallace produced this podcast. Contact them with your questions and ideas for other topics. Michigan's Children is a nonprofit advocacy organization, an independent voice working to reduce disparities in child outcomes from cradle to career through policy change. <laughs>